0: It's powerful being here with you all. And I thank you so much for welcoming us. We are, uh, Pastor Dell asked me to just step in for him for tonight. Thank you for being okay with that. And you have been flipping through Philippians. You've been walking through the book of Philippians. And I'm going to try desperately to do justice to Philippians chapter 4. It's a little bit hard stepping into the shoes of your pastor and following him. You know, I mean, it's okay if I can follow with someone who's not such a great speaker, but um, it's a little hard coming along behind Pastor Dell. But I am so grateful to be able to be here tonight and share with you what God has laid on my heart. Is it okay if we open with prayer? Father God, I just worship you tonight. With every fiber of my being, I bow before you, O God. I invite you to move and to stir and to break chains and to tear down yokes. We asked you, God, to come and break down every wall that we built in our ho- in our hearts. I'm asking God for the power of the living God to just rest upon this place and for there to be deliverance and breakthrough and transformation. I pray that your word will come with power, with life-giving power and feed your sons and your daughters, God, move in this place and meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. So I just can't help myself. I know you've probably had all kinds of introductions to the book of Philippians, but just give me a moment that I can't help. There's a teacher part of me that just has to do a little bit of history. But But in Philippians, we find Paul speaking to people in a way we don't see in any of his other epistles. This church is somehow precious to his heart he loves these people. They have stood with him. They've given uh, in sacrificial ways. They've given out of their poverty to support him, even when he ministered in other areas. He is, They have walked with him. He loves these people, and in this book, we see his heart in ways we don't see in other books. You've been walking through this, and you've seen some of this. Typically, Paul's epistles will have a theological section where he's talking about what we believe. And then towards the end, he follows it up with a practical section. This is how we implement these things that we believe, that somehow what we believe is not just a set of principles that we agree to, but it's something that is powerful and transforming, and it changes our lives. So let me say this another way, what we believe should impact what we do. What we believe should change the way we live. What we believe with every fiber of our being, with our whole heart, should impact the words we speak, the places we go, the attitudes we manifest. It should change how we live our lives. It should make a difference. In Philippians, Paul moves back and forth a little bit more than he normally does. But tonight, we're looking at a chapter that is very practical. He's given us some very powerful spiritual truths, some very powerful, powerful theology in chapter 2. He told us about how Jesus Christ did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He did not cling to and grasp to all of his prerogatives, all of his privileges as the divine son of God, but he chose to empty himself like pouring out every ounce of water from a cup so that he could come and take on the form of a bondservant, so that he could come so that the author of life could die to set us free, that he could hang on a cross, that he could invade death and break the bondage that death and sin holds on us. He came and he died, and then he rose again, and God gave him the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the heart, that is the soul of the book of Philippians, this powerful soul spiritual truth that is more than just words that are written down. That's more than just an event that took place a long time ago, but it's a profound spiritual truth that is forever relevant and active, involved, and it changes my heart, and it changes my life, and it transforms me from the inside out. We saw in chapter 3, well, you saw in chapter 3, where Paul talked about how it was that he came to the point that he realized that all that stuff he was hanging on to, his heritage, his lineage, all of that privilege that belonged to him, he chose to let it all go. And he said, I've counted it as all, all as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he just began to cry out, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him in ways that I've never known him before. I'm saying, Paul, you know him better than anybody I've ever met before, anybody I've ever experienced. But Paul said, "Uh, uh-uh, there's so much more. There's so much more. I can never come to the end of knowing him because he is altogether that great. And I ache, I love. I hurt to know him. My greatest desire is to know him more. So forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind, refusing to allow my mistakes to rob me of the future that God has for me, refusing to allow my triumphs to limit me, forgetting what lies behind. I am reaching forward. I'm stretching forward. I am reaching with every, every bit of my being to arrive at what God has for me. My translation calls it the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, all of these are so powerful. And then Paul says, but these are not just principles to agree to. These are truths. These are foundational truths. These are as real, as powerful, as profound as saying that the sky is blue and that the water is wet. There is nothing. You cannot define life apart from these truths. You cannot allow yourself to conceive of even the answer to a simple solution without taking these truths into account. Are you all with me? Okay, I need an amen right about now. Okay. So I, as he moves forward, and I'm going to read you the first verse in chapter 4, and then I'm going to back up, okay? It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He's saying, therefore, and this is, this is referring to all of that that is back. therefore because Jesus came and died on a cross for you. Therefore, since you have heard how urgently it is needed for us to want to know the Lord with every fiber of our being because of all the truths that I have shared with you. I want to back up to chapter 3 for just a minute. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, therefore, because Because our citizenship is in heaven because we don't have the same perceptions and understandings because we have a recognition that we belong somewhere else that we have another home that I am just passing through I'm only here temporarily I have another home my citizenship I'm a sojourner here but my citizenship is in heaven and I have a savior every day I'm looking for the Lord He's coming to take me home. He's coming to meet me at my point of need. He's coming to change my life because we have this this lowly body right now, but we know that it's going to one day be transformed into to be like his glorious body, because all of this stuff that we touch and we feel and we see and we hear, because it's temporary, therefore, therefore, because of all of that, therefore, my beloved brother whom I long to see, Paul sitting in prison, chained to guards, but he longs to see these people. He longs to connect with them, whom I long to see. You are my joy you are my crown that's a a crown a victor's crown like when someone has completed an athletic competition and they're awarded a crown as a victory he says you to them you are my crown i long to see you you're my joy you're my crown and he says so stand firm stand firm stand firm in the lord my beloved yes you're hurting. Yes, life has been hard. Yes, you're being persecuted. Yes, things don't look like you thought they would. Yes, it's a little hard to understand why you're going through what you're going through. But you've got a Savior and a Lord who is willing to pay any price for you. You've got a God. Who knows the plans and purposes that he has for you. You have so many resources on your side that you can't see and you can't name and you can't feel right now. It's time for you to stand firm. You're not you're not children anymore. You're not, you're not just learning anymore. It's time to put the principles into action. Stand firm it means to persevere. It means to stand strong. It means to refuse to give up. And I don't know who needs to hear that here tonight. But I want to say to you that the Lord says that he's got things that are unfolding in your life right now. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever it is that you are are seeking God's face for, God knows, he hears, he understands. He's asking you to take a step back from that place of need and take a stand on the firm knowledge that he is is in control. He is the God that calls a universe into existence. There is nothing he cannot do for you. There is nothing he will not do for you as long as it is for your best interest and his highest good. God is with you. The enemy wants to deceive you and keep you trapped up in that place of fear. And we're going to come and talk about that again in a moment. And then as we press in, this verse was the bridge. It created a transition. It built a bridge from chapter 3 to chapter 4. And now Paul begins to speak about some very deep and um, significant issues that the church was facing. He says, I urge Yodia and Suntuke to live in harmony in the Lord. These were two sisters two sisters in the church. They were in leadership. Verse 3 says, indeed, true comrade, I say to you also help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul is saying, these two women, they've worked with me. They've worked alongside of me. They've grappled. They've struggled for their faith. They poured their heart into the ministry. But now there's a division. There's a brokenness. There's a disunity. Because these two women are at odds with one another. They're leaders in the church. But these two women are bickering and fighting with one another. Some sources say they don't believe that it is doctrinal. Because Paul is saying that their names are written in the book of life, that they battled with him, they understood the gospel. Others say it may have been doctrinal. I don't know. It may have been a personality conflict. It may have been that one wanted to do it one way and one wanted to do it another way. But right now, there's some division going on among these two women. And Paul is saying, look at this, he said, I urge you to live in harmony in the Lord. That word that word for harmony to, means to be of the same mind. When I originally looked at this years ago, I thought it sounded kind of sweet. You know, like he was kind of come alongside them, Andrew, and say, sweetie pie, why don't you just two get along with each other? Why don't you, why don't you just quit fighting with each other? Come on here, let's, let's talk this out. That's not what he was saying at all. That word for, that word is the way it says, I urge you. That, that's a word. That's a, a strong word. It's like, I am pleading with you. I am urging you. I am insisting on this. I am requiring this. It even has a sense of you. Come over here and stand right next to me. You know, Get up off your happy hips and just get your bottom over here because I have something that I want to say to you. You need to live in harmony with one another. You cannot keep fighting with one another. See, there's something. Powerful about the unity of the church. When we stand united, we become a powerful force that shows forth the glory of God. It says the world will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. There's something profound that happens when we come together in spite of our differences, in spite of our different ideas and our different perceptions, and our own different preferences, when we get beyond all of that, and we stand together in unity, we become a powerful conduit for the flow of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the world around us. Paul is not being sweet to these ladies. He speaks to one of his fellow workers, and he says, you go get those two women, and you help them. You help them. That word for help means you grab them. It can mean to even arrest them it's a little bit go like go oh, slap them silly you know what i mean go go get a hold of them and shake them up and make them realize the damage they're doing to the body of christ by this lack of unity by their failure to stand together something powerful happens when we choose to step beyond our racial boundaries beyond our age differences, beyond our our methods of worship, when we step beyond our cultural experiences and expressions, when we step beyond liking someone or not. I told the ladies at my church, you do not have to like me. You do not have to like. You have to love me. You do. You have to love me. But you do not have to like me. We can work together. You don't have to like me to work with me. Just come alongside and stand by me. That says the word says that we can work shoulder to shoulder. You don't even have to look at me. Just come and go, come and join me because together we can do powerful things. Together, as the Spirit of God anoints us and moves through us, as He ignites the gifts He placed in you and ignites the gifts He's placed in me and He brings us together, we are able to to do astonishing, impossible things. These women had to stop their bickering. They had to set it aside. He doesn't take one side over another. He doesn't even bother to listen to them. He's just saying, knock it off. Stop it. This isn't worth fighting over. You're damaging the church. You're hurting the church. You... Another a passage, he says, do everything in your power to live at peace with all people. But God, I don't like her. And I don't want to live at peace with her. God said, I don't care. Go live at peace with her. Do what you're supposed to do because you need to be united. Something powerful happens in you and around you and through you when you're united there's no room for division verse four says rejoice in the lord always and again i will say rejoice remember where paul is where's paul He's in prison. I heard a little one. I heard a small little voice say in prison, do you all talk back in church? Y'all need to talk back to me. Where was Paul? Where was Paul? He was in jail. He was in jail. But he says, rejoice. Rejoice. What are you going through right now? You have a choice. You You can be sorry for yourself or you can rejoice and praise God because he's moving for you. Rejoice wherever you are, whatever you're going through. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit. My translation says forbearing. That word, that Greek word, means it's a spirit that chooses to yield personal rights. It's a spirit that chooses to show gentleness, to everybody let your forbearing spirit be known to all men because the lord is near the lord is with you but god he cut me off on the freeway i don't even want to be gentle i don't even want to be like, don't worry god says i'm near i'm with you let it go it's not worth it's not worth being upset over but she talked about me behind my back i said it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter what she said. I'm right here with you. But God, my husband was mean to me today. No, he wasn't. I'm telling a big, fat lie. But, <laughs> but, but God said, it doesn't matter. You be gentle. Right. You be kind. I'm near you. I'm giving you everything you need. Sister, I don't know what's going on with you. But God is saying very specifically to you right now that he is near you. If I could walk better, I would come over, I would put my hand on your shoulder and invite you to feel the presence of God. He is with you. He is with you. He will give you exactly what you need to make it through. He is with you. Do you believe me? Amen. Praise God. He said, the Lord is saying, you can make it. You can do it. I'm going to meet you at every point of need and every step of the way. I'm going to help you. So that first, that first, those first few verses had to do with, with unity, about understanding how vitally important it is that we as the church be united We have to understand that if we are not united, we are destroying and damaging the witness of God in our world. See, it's it's not just a personal thing. It's not just a personal preference. That unity that God wants to achieve in us is rich and powerful and profound. And when people see that, it will change their hearts and it will change their minds. Now he moves to something else. And I'm calling this focus. I'm calling this focus. You might call it something else. It's okay. Verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I heard the Lord say that someone here needed to hear this tonight. He's saying you have a choice of what you focus on. You can focus on that anxiety. And that word for anxious is talking about about being afraid, being unduly concerned, letting the cares of life wear you down, operating with this constant not knowing how you're going to make it, always feeling like you're not strong enough, just always living with this doubt that's hanging over you. It becomes almost imprisoning, I know, because I used to live that way. The yeah, anxiety was so intense and so dark that I could almost see it. It was like it was almost like a, a temporal thing. I could see this dark cloud coming towards me. And I did not know how to fight it. But the Lord taught me. Do you see here it says, be anxious for nothing. No matter how dark it looks, no matter how frightening it looks, no matter how impossible it looks, do not be anxious about anything. He's not playing games here. We treat that verse like it's such a sweet, cute little verse. No, this is an aggressive, intense verse. It's talking about taking a physical stand and a posture that says, I refuse to entertain you. You have no room in my life. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I will not give in to that. I will not turn over to that. I am choosing to put my trust in the Lord, I am choosing to believe that He is making a way for me out of no way, and I trust Him. It says, I can come. I will not, He said, be anxious for nothing. Do you see how all encompassing these words are? Amen. No matter what the medical diagnosis is, no matter what the job future is, no matter how much food you have in your refrigerator no matter how much money is in your bank account, no matter that your, your biological clock is ticking, no matter, no matter, no matter anything, no matter what you're facing, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything. Is, does that leave anything out? Every You all are so quiet. You got to talk back to me. Does that leave anything out? Everything, it really does mean everything, in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, that word for for prayer is talking about earnest prayers, it means coming into the presence of God making your, your needs known, coming and just entertaining him and loving him and encountering him like we did tonight as we opened up service and as we worshiped him. Just in everything by prayer and supplication means those needs that you have, those, those desires, those longings, those, those things that seem to be lacking from your life with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for the pain. Because I trust right now, God, that you never send pain without a purpose. Yeah. That you never allow me to go through anything without a good reason. So thank you for the pain. you know. Thank you for the deprivation. Thank you that right now I don't know where to go. Help me remember that you do. God, thank you. Thank you that it's a little bit dark right now, a little bit lonely right now. Thank you, God, for the doctor's diagnosis. It scared me a little bit, but you're big enough to move. You, know, you hold me in the palm of your hand. Thank you, even for that. Thank you. Thank you. Let your request be made known to God. Now listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, Shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we like to lift up that verse, but we forget that it's connected with this other verse that says, Oh, it's going to get hard sometimes. It's going to get painful sometimes. It's going to be frightening sometimes. We forget that part by saying, in those hardest places, choose to put your trust in the Lord. Choose to run to him. Choose to pour your heart out to him. And he will come, and he will meet you right there. And his peace, that word, that's that's the Greek word that's used to translate the Hebrew word shalom, which is more than absence of conflict. But it means God's highest good, his riches, his security, his protection, his provision, his love, his grace, his mercy. It means well being at every level. He said, if you will begin to just Run into the presence of the Lord and pour out your heart to him and trust him and make room for him to move. If you will give thanks to him, even when it hurts just a little bit to do so. If you will change your orientation. See, he's asking us to shift from a posture of worry to a posture of worship. I need you to say amen. Okay, he's asking us to shift our posture from a posture of worry to a posture of worship. I used to have a friend in the church. She said, I know every time I start to have a thought about not giving my full tithes and offerings to the Lord, that that's the enemy, and he's trying to steal a blessing from me. So what I do is I give more. Just to tell him he's a liar. I give him, I give more. Every time he comes to me and tries to persuade me that I cannot give or I should not give, I give extra because I want him to know that I've already figured out who he is and what he's doing. If we could do that at every place in our life, when I'm about to worry, uh-oh, that's not the Lord. That, that mm, that's the enemy of my soul. It says, if I, will, if I will posture myself and shift from worry to worship, if I begin to press into his presence, if I begin to lay out my needs before him, then the peace of God, his, well, his well-being, his perfect provision, everything I need and more, it will come and it will guard my mind and my heart. It says this is the kind of peace that passes all comprehension. You can't explain it. You can't outline it. You can't show someone else how to to do it. All you know is that you know that you know that God is with you. And you are going to be okay. That no matter what is said, no matter what is done, you trust that what God is doing is right and good, because you know who he is. And it comes and it guards. This word, this is a military term. Remember, Philippi was a a Roman colony. So they were used to seeing guards around the city to protect it. Paul is in essence saying, you see those guards out there with all those weapons and that heavy armor and all that stuff going on? That's what God's peace is going to do for you when you learn to go to him and let make your requests and needs known to him. When you, when you begin to connect with him rather than pull away from him, the, the, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we were driving out to here, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, do you see, do you see that the anxiety, the anxiousness is a tool of the enemy? And he said that there's somebody here tonight who has been allowing anxiety to function like a key to their life. It's almost like a key to the door. It's like the anxiety Give Satan permission to unlock the door and come into your life. You've made room for him, but you don't have to do that. That there is a divine power that is available to you. And when that anxiety, when you begin to sense that anxiety, it should, it could, it could trigger in you a brand new response that turns you and gets you on your knees praising and worshiping God and that slams the door in the enemy's face and shuts it, locks it out, and God stands guard outside that door. Are you all with me so far? So that had to do with focus. So we started with unity and then we shifted to focus. Now we're in verse 8. We're going to shift to mindset. Mindset. It says, finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Mindset. Mindset. What am I focusing on? The thing that I listen to the most will have the most impact on my life. Now, Our world conditions us to be negative. Our world conditions us to think about what we're unhappy about. The exact opposite of what Paul is saying. Paul says, we need to shift our focus in terms of our relationship with one another and cultivate unity. We need to shift our focus in relation to our fears and anxieties and allow God to be the answer for all of our needs. And we need to shift the way that we are thinking and the way that we are operating and the way that we are living our lives the verse that I'm going to go through quickly the word for true whatever is true that means valid reliable honest the opposite of what is false how many of you are listening to rumors and gossip and news reports that are that don't give you the whole story. How many of us allow the world around us to change the way we think and the choices that we make? Whatever is honorable, that means something that is noble, that something that is worthy of respect. Are you thinking about things that are worthy of your time? Are you allowing what you think about to make you better or to make you bitter? Do you, do you see? How are you living? How are you thinking? Think about what is right. That means upright or just. Something that conforms to God's standards and is worthy of his approval. Is that where your thoughts go? Uh, what is pure means moral purity, chastity, something that is lovely. It has to do with being morally upright, something that is lovely, is pleasing, agreeable, amiable, something that's of good repute, means something that's admirable, praiseworthy, attractive. How many times are we thinking that way? Or how many times are we criticizing and complaining and finding fault? and running things or people down? How many times am I focused on what is wrong rather than what is right? How many times is my mind weighted down with all the negativity of this world that we live in? I find myself that's a little bit convicting. I don't always hit the mark that I want to hit. But God is saying, you are my people. Paul is saying, look at all the benefits that you have. Look at all that God has done for you. Look at who he is. Look at who you are in relation to Jesus Christ. Now let that become the impetus for what you entertain in your mind. He tells us, Paul tells us, that we can take every thought captive and bring it into obedience to Jesus Christ. I can change my life by changing my thoughts. And because of who the Lord is, I can do that. You all still with me? Okay. Then in this last section, Paul shifts and he begins talking to the Philippians about the gifts that they sent to him. And if you hear this, this section will change your life. It will change your life. Paul begins talking to them. He says, Paul says, but now I don't like my translation here very much. But let me read this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me indeed you were concerned before but you lacked opportunity and to me that always sounded like Paul was reprimanding them oh finally you thought about me I did most of the scholars say they don't think that's what what he's saying he's saying now here at this moment in time right here where I am you know, at this place, at this at this particular moment, where this is what seems to be the end of the story, he says, your concern, your care, your thoughts towards me, your love for me, has been flour- started to flourish in new ways. You're beginning to meet and and recognize that that you have the capacity to help me. These people were poverty stricken. They were giving out of their poverty. Some of them were probably feeling, well, well, if I give that, I may not be able to feed my family next week. But I, I'm choosing to give anyway. I'm choosing to give anyway because I believe that God will make a way for me. And so I'm going to sow into this ministry, into this man's life. I'm going to do something. This man, God has used him to change our lives. So I want to be able to sow back to him at this point of need. Paul, Paul says, not that I speak from want. I have, for I have learned to be content whatever circumstances I am in. So, so this is not saying he doesn't have a want. This is not saying he doesn't have a need. But he is saying, I, I'm commending you. I'm thanking you. I am rejoicing over what's happening in you, not because I have so much need. I do, but I have learned I have learned to be content no matter what my circumstances are. Am I boring you all? Are you all with me? Okay. I've learned. Do you see that? Contentment doesn't come naturally to us. I'm going to let that see. I see a few heads nodding. Contentment doesn't come naturally to us. He learned it. It means I was educated, I was informed, so I learned. I had to go through some stuff to begin to experience that and to recognize that I have been trained and taught and I have discovered that I can be content no matter what my circumstances are. Do you hear that? Okay, he intensifies it. Look at this. I know i know how to get along with humble means and i also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need he said i've learned this is a different word for learned it's a whole different greek word and it means to have discovered a mysterious truth i've learned it means to have discovered it out of experience out of living it out of walking it out of being touched by it i've suffered i've gone hungry and i've had times where i had plenty and i learned that no matter where i am i can be content That word means satisfied. I can be, I'm strong enough through Christ Jesus to be able to hold on to my contentment no matter what my circumstances are. Do do you hear what I'm saying? This is so important for us to understand because this will change the way that we live our lives. Learning to be content. I lost my job. Well, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be good. I lost my apartment. Okay, so I'm going to move in with Andrew and his wife, you know, I, I, I praise God, you know, do, do you see, I'm I'm not going to be fretting about it, I'm not going to fall apart over it, I'm not going to collapse and be weak, I'm I'm going to stand as a woman of God, recognizing that he is holding me in the palm of his hand, and that no one can snatch me out, and no matter what I go through, it will all end up being for the good, because, God knows what he's doing. Paul says, I've been in in shipwrecks. I've been beaten. I've been thrown in jail. I've been beaten with whips. I've been beaten with rods. I've been uh, criticized. I have been lied about. I have had people undermining me. All of it is irrelevant. I am still content in Christ Jesus because I've experienced him in ways that have changed my life. When I begin to feel dissatisfied, I need to go and look at that. I'm not talking about dissatisfied with my spiritual growth, because I think that, that, that the Lord wants us to always want to know him more, to always want to grow deeper. And, and I don't even think it has to do with where I am in terms of fulfilling my purpose. I think I'm supposed to have a little bit of discontent so I keep pressing and reaching for more so I don't just get settled and say, oh, this is good enough. Um, I think there's supposed to be some areas of discontent, but in terms of how I live my life, and the clothes I wear, and the house I live in, and the car I drive, and the hotel I stay at, and what we have for dinner, and all of that. I think it doesn't matter. If, it, if, it's, if it's a hamburger, praise God, it's hamburger. If it's steak, thank you, Lord, that's a good dinner. You know, just learning to be content, whatever my circumstances are. If you love me, wonderful. If you don't, Praise God. You know, just whatever my circumstance might be, I learned to be content because what matters most to me is Jesus Christ. He's my king and he's my Lord. Paul Paul says, I've learned to be content no matter what. He says, I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me? We tend to pull that verse out of context. Paul's saying it's in those places where life is hard and dark and painful. It's in those places that I don't like and I wish I wasn't at. It's when the when the things are pinch a little bit or hurt a little bit, when I don't know which way I'm going to go and what it's going to look like when I get there, when I can't answer, when I can't control my situation, when when it seems like everything is topsy-turvy around me, when everything is telling me that I should be discontent, dissatisfied, complaining, and criticizing. I've learned that it's in those moments that Christ comes and he gives me a strength that I didn't know that I would ever find. He gives me strength through the hardest places. It's a strength that births hope down inside of me so that even when I've gotten the worst news, I still believe that God is good and he still has a good plan for me. Even when it's darkest, that God is not going to leave me stuck in the dark, but he will be the light. That bursts into that darkness and shatters it. It's a it's a it's an attitude that says that I can go through this because of who God is. I can endure this, even this, because of who Jesus is. I will walk every step of the way because I know that I can do all things. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. He says, but you've done well to share with me in my affliction. He's proud of them. He's happy for them. You've done well. See, if you could just get it. I, I, I wish, uh, Pastor Andrew, I wish that I could somehow persuade people to understand that if you got the God's, God's principle of giving, you would be running to church to give your tithes and offerings. If you got it, if you could just wrap your mind around it, you would be looking for more opportunities to give because God says that you will never outgive him. He says that if you will give, he will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So it's your measure of giving that determines God's measure of giving back to you. So if I give with a, with, a, with a tablespoon, God will take a tablespoon, he will fill it up, he will press it down, shake it together, cause it to run over and give it to me. If I give with a wheelbarrow, God will get a wheelbarrow, he will fill it up, shake it together, press it down, cause it to run over and he will give it back to me. What will happen if I use a dump truck? Do you see, we determine the measure of God's giving to us by the measure that we give? Paul says, I am rejoicing. Because it is a good thing that you have given. He says here, you have given consistently to me. Verse 15, he says, when when I was ministering in Thessalonica and in other areas, you were the only church who sent support to me. You gave out of your poverty to make a way for me. He says, it's not, verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. Listen to this but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He says, if you will give, if you will give, if you will trust God and give, not what is convenient, but give till it hurts, give till it costs you something, you are going to see God respond. He says, when you choose to give, out of your poverty, God responds. He says, you are going to grow. You are going to be blessed. You are going to be increased. He says it's going to increase your account. That means it super abounds. That means it increases extravagantly. It comes to you in overflowing measure. God invites us to live as generous people, not just to the church, but especially in the church, but also to other people. When we dare to live with our hands open and allow the gifts of God to flow through us to others, God will continually pour into our lives more than we know what to do with He's always faithful when he's always good. So Paul is saying, I am rejoicing in what you're doing, not for what it is for me, although it was sure a blessing for me, but because I know it's going to be an even bigger blessing for you. Verse 18 But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When you give, when you give, it arises like a sweet-smelling fragrance before God. That's like an incense offering. That's like an incense offering going up before him. The Old Testament speaks of how the scent of the incense offering delighted the Lord. It blessed the Lord. When you choose to give, when you find the courage to open up your hands and release, it delights God. I can almost hear him saying, did you see what she did? Look at her. And Pastor Andrew, she did it. She trusted me. It delights the Lord. He says it's a, 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 a let me get the right words. I've got too many words running through my brain. <laughs> he says it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Something that is acceptable to God. In the Old Testament, there were many sacrifices that were not acceptable. If they brought a lamp that was, was marked, if there was any deformity, if there was any issue, if they brought something other than was stipulated, it was not acceptable to God. But this, this, God, said, "What you choose to give, it's an acceptable offering. I receive it with both hands. I wrap my arms around it, and I rejoice in it. It says an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then this verse, and my God, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We pull that verse out. We like to wave it around. Oh, God's going to supply all my needs. Have you been giving? (laughs) Have you been giving faithfully? Have you been bringing your tithes? Have you given sacrificially? Mm -hmm. Would you trust God and you give even out of your poverty? It says, my God will supply. That word for supply, it means fill you up till there's no more room to fill you to overflowing. He will supply. He will fill you up with so much you won't know what to do with it. He will supply all of your needs. This word says, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean he goes up and says, how much riches are up there? Okay, let me see. You've got this much, so I'm going to give her. No, it means commiserate with. His riches in Christ Jesus are unlimited. So he is going to provide you with unlimited provision. It's not numbered. It has no expiration date. It doesn't run out. God God is saying, Paul is saying, God is going to meet every single need in your life, not in a stingy fashion, but he's going to give you more than you could possibly need. He's going to fill you up till there's no room for anything else. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And then Paul brings the book to a close with its beautiful doxology. Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, in light of all these truths, in light of all of this powerful word, in light of these promises that are rich and enduring, in light of all this, God, be glorified. Be glorified forever and ever. Amen. And he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, yeah. Yeah. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, my brothers and my sisters. Yeah. Thank you. Can we give Pastor Rhonda a hand? And we're about to we're about to. Wrap up, but even as we wrap up, Pastor Rhonda, could you just give a blessing to seal all that we've taught in our hearts? Father God, I just thank and praise you, God, for the power of your presence in this place for the provision that you are making, for the call that you are issuing. There's a summons and a call and an invitation in this place for his people to rise up, stand up, stand firm, and move forward. I pray, God, that you will bless your sons and your daughters, that you will pour out your richest love upon them, that your grace and mercy will multiply to them, that you will saturate them and meet every need, God, every need. I pray that your word will come with power to tear down everything that the enemy has tried to accomplish in their lives and to release truth that will forever set them free. I pray that you will teach them how to shut the door on anxiety, Uh, to shut the door in the enemy's face. I pray that you will teach them how to reorient themselves and shift from worry to worship. I pray that you will teach them the power of giving and that as they begin to give more and more, your glory will be seen in forever life-changing ways. Have your way, I pray.